Hey, good morning again, Emmaus. Uh, this is Pastor Owen, and I'm here connecting with Trevor. Hey, Trevor, take a chance, introduce yourself, and say hi to anybody that you want to. Hi, uh, hi, Emmaus, and the Rookum team, and the rest of the church. And my name is Trevor, by the way. Man, it's, it's good to be able to see your face, and, and I know you greet so many people on Sunday morning when when they arrive at Emmaus and, and they miss being able to, uh, to see you. Emmaus, one thing uh, Trevor has been really helpful for me is helping us think through how do we care for people uh, who are coming from somewhere on the autism spectrum. And Trevor has reached out and reminded me that April is actually Autism Awareness Month. And so I know this is something that many of you uh, know people, have people in your family, have good friends who have autism, and what does it look like to be a part of the church, a part of the body of Christ? So Trevor, here's your chance. I know we've talked about this a lot, but just share with Emmaus a few things that would be helpful for people to know how to, to be a good friend, to, to relate to people who, are, who have autism. What would you say to that, Trevor? Um, mostly to understand where I come from and what I'm doing and things like that. Uh, for example, you guys might see me get up and walk around um, or whatever, and that, or I may not even keep eye contact with someone, and that's not me not paying attention, it's more of me being, okay, I can be aware of what's going on, still listen, and be comfortable in my situation. Well, Emmaus, I hope uh, you hear from Trevor his his love for the Lord, his love for the church, God's work in his life as someone who who deals with autism. Uh, and also, if this is something that your family faces, that your friends face, knowing this is Autism Awareness Month, and, and we want to make sure as a church we're doing a good job as the body of Christ caring for one another. And so I know Trevor would be open to talking to you about that. We would yeah. love to, to be able to help one another. Trevor, anything else as we, as we wrap up that, that you'd want to say? No pressure, just kind of give you a chance to have something there to say at the yeah, end. Yeah, um, just kind of like what Owen just said, you know, I'm always open to answer any questions um, at all. Um, and last thing I would say, you know, for him, of course, be careful, help me along. And um, how I think is different from how someone else without autism thinks. Someone without autism may think in words, where with me, I think, or me with autism and someone else with autism may think in videos, pictures, we uh, think about how the day is gonna go with pictures and videos always running through our minds, million things running through our minds. So if you can just work with us uh, or work with me, ask me questions, etc. cetera, uh, I'm always open to answer anything. Yeah. Well, Trevor, thanks for sharing that, brother. I'm so glad you've been able to share with Emmaus today. And, and we're thankful that God has brought you to be a part of our church. And we look forward to you holding the door open for us uh, really soon yeah. on, on Sunday morning. So, all right, Emmaus, we're going to get back to our worship service today. Uh, thanks again, Trevor. We'll see you, man. Goodbye. All right. Good morning, Emmaus. Uh, I hope you had a chance there to hear from Trevor and about God's work in, in his life. I want you to know that from that interview that Trevor and I did this week, there's probably six or seven more minutes worth of content, things that Trevor shares about his testimony, about God's work in his life. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to take that full interview and put it on my Facebook page tomorrow, and then I'll tag Emmaus in there. But I want you to be able to hear a little bit this morning from Trevor as we think about, he's, he's helped us think about, hey, April is Autism Awareness Month. How can we help people to know what it looks like to be a part of the body of Christ? And so I want you to see that, and then I'll get the full interview out to you tomorrow on, on my Facebook page. Here's what I want us to do right now, Emmaus. I know one of the biggest challenges of having to do our worship gatherings in this way is we're not able to gather in the same way that we normally would. And one of the things that we fight against is we don't want you to feel like Sunday morning at 1030, you're just watching a produced show, that you're just sitting down like you would watch anything else on your phone or anything else on TV. We want to remember how the Spirit of God is at work among us. We, we want to be together when we do this. We know we're not able to right now. But here's what we're going to ask you to do right now. 
we're going to ask you to spend time together in prayer right where you are. Now, we realize you might be watching this by yourself because of certain circumstances, and we pray that you'll use this as a chance to, to call out to the Lord that his spirit will be at work in your life. Maybe you even have, take a chance to text somebody and say, hey, would you pray with me right now? But if you're together with other people, we're going to ask you to spend a couple of minutes in prayer. Now, I know that the temptation could be, I'm going to shut this off right now. I, I wasn't watching this morning because I wanted to do anything. I know it could feel awkward in your home doing this. But instead, I hope that this would be a chance that God would do a good work in your family, a good work in your home, that you would take time. Maybe just one person feels like praying out loud, but you would gather together as a family and do that, that you would pray. If you're watching this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, and you would like somebody to pray for you, you can put that in the comments, and then there's also a link that you can fill out, and that goes to our prayer team, and we would love to pray for you. Emmaus members, if there's things that you need prayer for, put those in the comments on, on Facebook or, or send us that message. We also remember that this morning, uh, today, 25 years of the 25-year anniversary, remembering the Murrah bombing and how that impacted Oklahoma City, how that impacted so many of you that you remember, like I do, exactly where you were when you heard about that. Many of you were on the front lines of responding to that, and so 25 years later, we're responding to other challenges, other things going on in our world, but we want to remember that and be praying for first responders, those who work in the medical field, things like that. So here's what we're going to do, Emmaus. I'm going to step back for just a minute. And we're going to give you time at your home to spend time in prayer. Two, three minutes, something like that. And do that right now, and then we'll come back together and we'll study God's word. So let's do that right now. Father, we pray together as a church. God, thank you for families who have gathered to pray together. God, I thank you for the way that you work in our lives in, in so many different ways. God, we, we know so many people in our world are, are hurting right now. God, we think about what the state of Oklahoma has been through in the last 25 years and different challenges that come. God, we pray for those who work as first responders. God, we pray for those who work in the medical field. God, that you would work in and through them. Father, we pray that as people are dealing with loss, as people are hurting, God, that they would come to know the peace and the life that you provide through Jesus. God, I pray for families who are going through difficult situations at home. Maybe it's, maybe it's hard for them to gather and pray right now because of things that they're facing or, or difficult family conflicts. God, I pray that you would do a powerful, supernatural work in our lives. God, that you would work in our homes, you would work in our neighborhoods, you would work in our church. God, we don't want to just watch something on a screen. 
We don't want to go through the motions. God, we want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we want to know what it is to live the life that you've called us to live. And so, God, thank you for a church like Emmaus. God, thank you for what this church means to me. Thank you for how people have responded. God, thank you for the little kids at home that are learning about you from their parents and are doing Bible stories and are watching this morning. God, I pray for those who are watching at home and maybe they've been isolated a lot lately and they're feeling so lonely and the despair is setting in a little bit. God, I pray that they would experience your presence and your power. And God, use this time as we prepare to study scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Emmaus, if you would, take your Bible and open to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, John is the fourth book in the New Testament. So as you get to that New Testament portion of the Bible and you begin to open it up, it's the fourth of the Gospels there, telling us about the work of Jesus and his teaching and his ministry. And we're going to be in John chapter 15. Now last week on Easter, we finished up a very, very long year-plus study through the Gospel of Matthew. And if I didn't communicate well enough last week how bittersweet that was for me, I love teaching through the Gospel of Matthew. I love studying that Gospel, and it was tough to wrap that up. But where I feel like God is leading us now is we're going to begin a series of sermons on the character and the attributes of God. Who is God? So we're going to look at key scriptures that teach us about who God is. We're going to think about what does it mean that we understand God to be Trinity, one God, three persons, How do we make sense of that? Does that even matter? What does that look like in our lives? And there's a part of this question, hear me out on this, as you're finding John chapter 15 in your Bible. There's part of that question that can feel very abstract. Or you can say, Owen, I I need something practical. I need something I can really do. Hear me out on this, that the most practical thing in your life is based on who you believe God to be. Who we understand God to be What we think about when we think about the word God makes all the difference in how we live our lives. And so if you're watching this morning and you're not even sure about religion in general, you're not even sure what you believe about God, that question still matters. Who do I believe God to be? Or if I don't believe in God, what kind of a God am I not believing in? What what does this look like? And so we're going to go through this journey and think about this question, who is God? And this morning, we're going to get a soft start in that, and we're going to begin in John chapter 15. So I want to read the first five verses of John chapter 15, and then we're going to study a lot of this chapter together. John chapter 15, verse 1. Here's what it says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then the famous verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus said. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the word of the Lord. All right, Emmaus, to get started and think about those verses this morning and what does it mean to understand who God is and the impact that makes in our life, I want to show you a quote out of a, ver- out of a book that I read this last week. And so this was a book that came out in 2009. I had skimmed it back in the day when it came out, but in rereading it, there's a passage in that book that shows up in the very last chapter, and here's what it says. As we write, So writing in 2009, the first worrying signs of a swine flu pandemic are making headlines around the world. Imagine that the pandemic swept through your part of the world. Remember, this is written in 2009. Imagine it swept through and that all public assemblies of more than three people were banned by the government for reasons of public health and safety. And then it goes on to say, Let's say that due to some combination of circumstances, this ban had to remain in place for some time. How would your congregation continue to function? With no regular church gatherings of any kind, and no home groups, except for maybe groups of three, if you were the pastor, what would you do? 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> good, good question. If you were the pastor, what would you do? If you could tell me, that would be great. Why did this show up in the last chapter of the book? As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, uh, could this have gone at the beginning of the book and then maybe you've given us the answers to what should we do in a time like this? That question, with everything going on in the world and not being able to gather like we normally would, what does it mean? What do we do in a time like this? Even if you're not coming from a religious standpoint, even if you're not coming from a religious background, how would you respond in a time like this? And, and as a church, how do we respond in a time like this? What are we called to do? I want you to hear from me this morning, Emmaus, the, uh, the pressure that we feel as a church, the, the pressure to be impressive at a time like this, the, impressive, the, the pressure to get out there and do something that really makes a difference and something that really matters, there's this pressure of how do we respond in a time like this? And what God has done in my heart, and what I hope he'll do for our church this morning, is take us back to the reality of John chapter 15, because the best thing we can do right now as a church, the best way we can respond right now, I believe comes from John chapter 15. I want us to work through these verses together. So we're gonna begin in John chapter 15, verse one, with the reality that everything we need comes from the Father. Look at John chapter 15, verse one. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now what I love about John chapter 15 is this is the type of imagery that Jesus would use when he would teach, and he's teaching about how his Father works in the world. What does it look like to understand God the Father here as the vine dresser, as the one who plants this vine and allows the fruit to come. I love that because it's an image that anybody can understand. If you're watching this morning, I want you to know that one of the things we try to do well at Emmaus is we want the things that we communicate, the things that are taught on, on Sunday morning, the things that are taught throughout the week, that even if you're not coming from a religious, religious background, even if you don't know a lot of the Bible, even when our kids are together watching with us, we wanna do this in a way that they can understand, that, that you can understand. And Jesus would teach in these ways. He would teach in a way that someone would hear it and say, oh yeah, I, I can connect with that. I love these verses because when I read them, I think about my grandfathers. Uh, one grandpa who, who had uh, grapevines at his house, and so I remember running out and, and grabbing grapes off that and spitting the seeds out and enjoying the grape. Uh, another grandpa who grew blackberry bushes, not just blackberries, but watermelons, cantaloupes, a fruit orchard, just about everything you can imagine. And so the gift of being able to go out and, and pick those blackberries, they make blackberry bushes now that are thornless, but have you really picked blackberries if your hands aren't bleeding and you're getting cut up and you've got a spider crawling across you? Is it, you know, is it really actually picking blackberries? I love this imagery because I'm not a great gardener. I'm just not good at this. I love to mow the yard. I find that therapeutic. I don't like to work in the garden. We have neighbors across the road who have this beautiful flower garden out front, and we just kind of live vicariously through that. Our front flower garden, we practice free-range hands-off gardening. We just kind of plant stuff and watch what happens. Um, so I, I connect with these verses partly because I'm not good at it, but partly because it's an image that I can understand that, that God would plant this vine and allow it to grow and that fruit would come from it. But here's the other way that Jesus teaches. He teaches with these simple images that you could take your kids out and show them a plant and say, hey, this will teach you about God. But Jesus also teaches in a way that when you begin to get behind the text, when you begin to dig deeper, you find all this rich meaning that's involved. And what's going on here in chapter 15 of John is that Jesus is tapping into this Old Testament imagery of the people of Israel, the people of God being compared to a vine. And so when you go back and you read in places like Isaiah chapter 5, and you read in places like Psalm chapter 80, or Hosea chapter 10, if you want to chase this down later, Isaiah 5, Hosea 10, uh, Psalm 80, when you read those places, you find that God established his people in the world in order that they would be fruitful. But just about every time that image shows up, 
it becomes a negative thing. In other words, they don't produce the type of fruit that God desired for them to produce. Now, you'll also find in Isaiah, when it's speaking about the end times when God will bring everything to fruition, you find that he plants a vine and it does bear fruit the way he wants it to happen. And so that's where it begins to connect to the New Testament and what Jesus will do. But right here, we see the Father at work planting this vine, desiring that life should come from it, that fruit should come from it. Now, how does the Father care for the vine? Look at verse 2 to see what happens there. Verse 2, what does the Father do? Jesus says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now this is kind of a controversial passage, and there's, there's a couple of different ways, and, and both have good reasoning tied to them. There's a couple of different ways to understand that language in verse 2 about what does it mean that the Father would take away the branch that does not bear fruit. One understanding of that is that the word take away has to do with lift up, and, and clean off and allow it to grow. So, so it's a branch that isn't doing well. It doesn't seem to be healthy. And the father, the vine dresser, lifts it up and prepares it to bear fruit. That's one possible understanding. However, most translations and most understandings of this verse, they take, take away that every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Sometimes they'll even translate it as cut off. Take away from the vine. The branch is dead because it's not connected to the vine. It's trying to be a branch but without being connected to the vine and the father, the vine dresser, takes it away and throws it away because that branch is not ever going to be able to have life. It's, it's disconnected from its source of life and so most likely it's a scene of judgment here at the beginning of verse 2. But look at the second half of verse 2 to see how the father works for those that are connected to the vine. At the second half of verse 2 it says every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, I remember watching my grandfathers and watching my dad do pruning of, of plants and the way you cut back in order that it would bear more fruit. This idea here of, of pruning, there's a quote that I think might be helpful uh, to think about in, in this regard. One of the books says this, Left to itself, a great plant will always favor new growth over more grapes. What's the result? From a distance, luxurious growth, an impressive, impressive achievement, but up close, an underwhelming harvest. So left to itself, Emmaus, this plant can look like it's growing. It can look really great, but you get up close and you realize there's not as much fruit there as should be. And what happens? What does the father do? What does the vine dresser do in this situation? He begins to prune. He begins to cut back. He begins to take away that excess so that the plant will be able to bear fruit the way it should. Here's the reality. For many of us, and in fact, I could just go so far as to say for all of us, a lot of life has been pruned, has been cut back in the last few weeks. We're not able to gather in our church buildings. We're not able to have the programs that we normally have. Many of you are not able to go to work like you normally would. Students aren't able to go to school the way they normally would. You're not able to participate in sports or club or theater the way you normally would. A lot of life has been cut back. And when we hear cut back, when we hear prune, when we hear about something being removed, we think of it as a bad thing. But in this text, what Jesus is saying to us is when the Father prunes, when the Father takes away, when the Father removes, it's not a bad thing. It actually results in our life bearing more fruit. And so what I want to say to you is that if there have been things in your life that have been pruned, that have been taken away, that have been removed recently, in that situation, ask yourself, how God might be removing something? How might God be removing something, pruning something from my life so that I can bear more fruit for him? How does God normally prune? How does he normally do this work in our lives? He normally does it through his word. When we look at scripture and we find something there that, that should be happening in our life, but it's not, and so God cuts things away. He takes away excess weight. He takes away sin in our life so that we can bear fruit. Sometimes it happens because of the circumstances 
in our lives. And here's the hard thing, Emmaus. Hear me out on this. When God prunes, when he removes something from your life, I don't, I don't, I, I'm careful to use illustrations here because we understand how delicate we have to speak at this point, but maybe a job has been removed, maybe a relationship has been removed, maybe an activity that normally kept you busy has been removed. When those things are removed, often our lives are exposed in some pretty hard ways. And, and, and so when something is removed, our life is exposed, and what we find there isn't always great. But God has to remove things. He has to expose us in a sense so that we can grow healthy, so that we can bear the fruit that he's calling us to bear. And so what I want you to hear is that you have a loving father who oftentimes in life will prune us, oftentimes will remove things from us, will call us to set things aside, to push that to a side. And I hope that's happening as a church. We see we can't meet in our building, we can't have these programs, we can't do these things, and we see them as negatives. And we want to be together. We want to do those things. But it, may it be that God has pruned us. He's removed some of those things so that in the future we can bear more fruit. That God needs to expose us. He needs to heal us so that then as we move forward we can be fruitful. I believe that God's going to do that work. And so everything we have comes from the Father. And then we find in verse 3 it comes through the Son. Look in verse 3. When you see there in verse 3, that it comes through the Son, it says, already, Jesus says, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He has spoken to his people about what it means to be clean. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, I'm going to unpack this tomorrow morning during my 1130 Facebook Live because there's a lot of things going on here. But when you see this language about abide in me, verse 4, and I in you, what's happening there is Jesus is fulfilling some of this uh, new covenant promises that God made for his people in the Old Testament, places like Jeremiah chapter 31, this promise that God would send his spirit, that his law would be written on our hearts, that, that what is true about us would happen internally. It just wouldn't be something that happens externally. And so when you see this language about Jesus abiding in us, abiding with us, it's all of God's promises for his people coming to fulfillment here, that they come to fulfillment through Jesus. And that takes us to verse 5. Look at verse 5. And if you have not memorized scripture in a long time, draw a huge circle around John 15, 5. Write it on a postcard this week. Write it on a note card. Write it somewhere and put this verse in your heart. I pray, Emmaus, that, that we would make a commitment this week to memorizing John chapter 15, verse 5. Hold on to this verse. Here's what it says. I am the vine, even picking up from verse one where Jesus calls himself the true vine. I am the true vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You could not underline that final phrase enough times in your Bible. Uh, let, let me unpack a couple of those phrases. The very beginning of verse 5 where it says, I am, that's not a throwaway phrase because several times in the Gospel of John leading up to this point, Jesus has said, I am, and then he fills it in with an image like bread or light or living water. I am, but it's not just I am, it's reflecting a reality from the Old Testament, from Exodus chapter 3, where God reveals himself to Moses, reveals himself to his people, and says, who, who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord our God? I am who I am. And almost certainly in the Gospel of John, we find that reality being reflected in the life and ministry of Jesus. That This is not just a good teacher. This is not just a random throwaway phrase. Jesus is speaking to us about his divinity. He is revealing something true about himself. And he says, I am the true vine. Now, if you remember from a couple of minutes ago, in the Old Testament, as God is developing his plan and developing his people, he calls Israel. He calls his people to be that vine. And yet they don't fully carry that out. 
And so what's happening here is exactly what we saw in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the reality of Jesus coming as the fulfillment of God's plans. Everything that God desired for his son Israel, his vine Israel to be in the Old Testament, Jesus is bringing that to fulfillment so that everyone who comes to the Father through him will be able to live out this calling that God has put before us. And we find here that the calling that we have to bear fruit, we can only do through him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the thing, Emmaus. As we grow in our faith, as we go along in the Christian life, it's not a matter that the further we go, the less we need God. What we find is that the further we go in life, we realize more and more how much we need him. Kids, teenagers, this is why you need older adults in your life to speak to you about the faithfulness of God. Someone who has grown in their faith, and and not grown grumpy and bitter in their old age about religion, but someone who has grown in joy and grace, what they will tell you is that as they have grown in life, they're not trying to do life on their own. The more they go in life, the more they realize just how much they need the Lord. I love what the uh, leaders at Watermark Church in Dallas say. They say, if dependence is the goal, then weakness is an advantage. If dependence on Christ is the goal, what we're being called to, that apart from him we can do nothing, then weakness is actually an advantage. But man, we struggle with that because everything inside us says, no, I can do this. I need to take responsibility. I need to get my life together. I need to figure out how to do this. Or I don't want anybody else to see what's behind closed doors. I I don't want to be pruned. I don't want to be exposed because what people might find wouldn't be so great. That behind closed doors, I'm not doing that great. And what God's word says to you this morning is that when you are weak, he is strong. That it has always been true that apart from him, you could do nothing. You can't parent. You can't remain in your marriage. You can't work for his glory. You can't live a full life apart from Christ. And yet we still try to do that. We forget that. We go another direction. And God's word is calling you back this morning. God is using John chapter 15 to remind you that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. And that's true of our church. That's true of me. And, and just, it doesn't work great, I know, through a screen, but, but if I could just confess before you, uh, as your pastor and as your friend, how much this needs to be true in my own life, how much this needs to be true as a church, as Emmaus, that everything can look great, we can have a beautiful building, we can run great programs, everything can look amazing. And yet, the question is, are we bearing fruit Are we bearing the fruit that God wants us to? Are we doing church apart from Christ? God, let that never be true of us. Let me never pastor. Let me never ever try to preach or come before you and do that in my own strength apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Everything we have comes from the Father, through the Son, and then by the Spirit. Look down there further in John chapter 15 when you get down to verse 26. Now, really all of 13 through 17 is about the coming of the the Holy Spirit, Jesus sending the Spirit to be with his disciples. Down at the end of the chapter, John chapter 15, verse 26, it says, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. As we talk about the Trinity, I want you to see the way that prepositions, this is where we lapse into grammar lesson for, uh, for this morning. So kids, maybe you can count this as English lesson for tomorrow and not have to do whatever take-home English you have. That when you have prepositions, it helps you understand how the Trinity works, what it means to believe in one God, three persons, that everything we need, everything that we would ever ask for or have comes from the Father through the Son, by the Spirit. If you can remember that, from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, it really helps us to understand what it means to know and worship and respond to God's work in our life. And it comes to us as disciples. Look in verse eight. 
from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, to us as disciples. By this, verse 8 says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We don't just raise our hand, say a prayer, sign a card, I'm a Christian, and we go on with life. God has called us to be disciples, and disciples who bear fruit. We say this often in Emmaus, but I want to say it to you again. If you find Christianity boring or meaningless, it may be because no one has ever reminded you or ever taught you that what God has called you to is so much more than we could ever imagine, that God has called us to bear fruit, fruit that brings glory to him, not attention to ourselves, but we want to live fruitful lives because it brings glory to him, and it's what we've been called to do. What do we mean when we say fruit? That'd be a great question to ask at this point. What, what do you mean, Owen, when you say I'm supposed to bear fruit? What does that look like? Well, fruit, when you look at Scripture, is just an image for the fullness of the Christian life. It's what you've been called to as a follower of Jesus. It's change that happens on the inside where God gets into your life and he begins to change the way that you live, change what you live for. It's what comes out in doing good works and serving people around you. And it's about making disciples, leading other people to follow Jesus. And so to use some Emmaus terminology here, what does it mean to bear fruit? It means we proclaim and display Jesus. You talk about the things of Jesus and you live a life that shows people this is what a follower of Jesus does. You do that up through prayer and praise. You do it in as you form relationships and you get God's word in you and it begins to change you and things like peace and joy and love and gentleness and kindness come out of your life. And then he sends you out to help other people become followers of Jesus. So here's what I'm asking you to do this morning, Emmaus. Don't overcomplicate fruit. Fruit, when you read it in John 15, is just the fullness of the Christian life. It's what God has called us to be, what God has called us to do. But here's the more difficult question. How do we get there? How do we bear this fruit? It comes in John chapter 15, verse 5, that verse we're going to memorize this week. John 15, verse 5 I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. How do you live the Christian life? What is God calling us to do today with all the uncertainty and chaos going on in the world? Here's what he's calling you to do today. He's calling you to abide in Christ. Now you might think, okay, I would love to do that, Owen. I would love to abide in Christ but you don't know what I'm going through right now. You don't know the circumstances in my life right now. When, when I get through this season of life, man, I plan on abiding in Christ. Can I tell you that you are not going to get through this season of life without abiding in Christ? It's not like we get through this season and say, okay, that's something I'll do later. It's saying that abide in Christ so that you will get through the season of life. Don't run from the one who brings hope, the one who brings transformation. Run to him at a time like this. And this idea of abiding sounds like I can't add another thing to my list. Like if I wasn't so busy, if I didn't have so many things going on, if I didn't have kids running around all day, I would love to abide in Christ. I would love to sit by, uh, you know, with a cup of coffee and quiet music playing and my Bible open. I would love to do that. You don't understand what I live in. Let me remind you, that abiding in Christ is not something we do one time and then set it aside and then go on with our life. Abiding in Christ is how we live. It, it's continual, it's ongoing. Yeah, we have moments that we set aside for scripture and prayer and things like that, but abiding in Christ is an ongoing reality. It's what you do when the kids are running around like crazy. Abiding in Christ is what you do when you get the hard phone call from work. Abiding in Christ is what you do when you feel lonely and lost. This is a reality that leads us through life. Now, here's another question. Okay, I want to do that. I want to be fruitful. I want to abide. How do I abide? Look up here on this screen next to me. How do we practice abiding in Christ? What does this look like? I need to apologize to you ahead of time. I actually tried to make these not start with the letter R. I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. They're not gonna all start with the letter R. We're not doing alliteration. That's cheesy. It doesn't work in 2020. 
and they all start with the letter R. So there's my, there's my apology. What does it mean in Scripture to abide in Christ? Remember, I'm probably over-begging you at this point, but remember, this is what God is calling us to do right now. This is the most important thing you can do right now in your life is abide in Christ. How do I do that? Number one, I rest in Christ. If you like to write in your Bible, out to the, neck, out, out to the side of, of John 15, 5, write Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. That's that passage where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden. I mean, if that doesn't describe our world right now, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. When we abide in Christ, we rest in him. We don't fret. We don't always chase what is next. Now, now, Resting, abiding, doesn't mean we're lazy. It means that Christ is where we find our life, where we find our hope. He's the one who drives the work we do, drives the creativity we do, but it comes from resting in him. He's our source, he's our hope. We remember the gospel and his promises. When life is hard, when you don't feel like you're bearing fruit, when you're barely holding it together, scripture says to remember. One of the most consistent themes in the Bible is remember. Remember the good news of Jesus. Remember God's promises to you. Remain close to him. Don't run far away at times of trouble. Remain close to him. Remember, remember who he is and what he's done in your life. That a church who abides in Christ doesn't need to be entertained, doesn't need to be impressed. A church that abides in Christ just wants to be reminded of how good God is and what that looks like in our lives, what it looks like to live that out. Receive Jesus' commands and love and joy that all of these things that we want and we need so much come from him. We don't have to manufacture them. The branch receives that from the vine. And then rely on his presence and power. Prayer, scripture, church. These realities, I'm not just making them up. They, they come out of these verses. Let me show you just for a couple of minutes as we prepare to kind of run toward the end here. But look in verse 7. I want to show you where these points come from in the text. Look in verse 7. It says there in verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. How do we abide? We get the word of God in us, and then we speak the word of God back to him in prayer. The best way that you can begin to abide, that you can learn to abide, is you take the word of God in, and then you speak it out in prayer and praise back to him. So I'm gonna say, this week, I wanna get John 15, five into my life, and the more I get it into my life, the more I'm able to speak it back to him. If prayer frustrates you, if it's hard for you to pray, and you get distracted, and your mind runs in 100 directions, you just don't know what to do when you pray, one of the best lessons we can have in prayer is just read a scripture passage and pray it back to God. You don't know where to start this week? Start in John chapter 15. If you want to read one chapter per week, maybe a cool, I mean, one chapter per day, maybe a cool thing to do this week would be to read John 13 through 17. So Monday I read 13, Tuesday I read 14, Wednesday I read 15. I know we, during a week like this, we have no idea what day of the week it is, but it's just a pattern, something for you to do this week to get God's word into your life and then to pray it back to him. Look at verse nine. Verse nine says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means to receive his commandments that lead us to love God and love others. When Jesus was asked to explain the Old Testament law, what does it look like to, to obey the law of God? Love God and love others. We receive his commands as good news for how we love those around us. Look in verse 11. Oh, man, don't check out on me just yet. I know we're, we're going on here, but verse 11 is good news. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. When I think about pastoral counseling and, and questions that people ask me and things that people come to me about, one of the most common issues that I hear about are just people experiencing very little joy in their life. If I was to add, we're not gonna put this, this poll in Facebook this morning, but if we were to put out a poll and say, hey, on a scale of one to 10, 
with 10 being great joy and one being very little joy, where would you rank yourself right now? What is your joy level right now? Is it, is it one or is it 10? Where would you put yourself? So many people who come to me, their joy level is just so low. And, and this affects your kids, it affects your marriage, it affects your job, it affects everything that you do in life when this level of joy is so low. And the irony of this, the irony is so many people think about God or look to Christianity and they see God or they see Christianity as a killjoy, as something that actually takes away their joy. This is one of the great lies of the world that when you look to God, he's going to take away all your joy when in reality, John 15 says, he's the one who supplies joy through his son Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be tempted to think, if I could just change my circumstances, my joy would go up. Like if I just had a different job or lived with a different family or had a different marriage or my circumstances were different, then I would have more joy. This is where I love that Elizabeth Elliot quote. The secret to life is not me in a different, circum- different set of circumstances, but Christ in me. The secret to life is not me in a different set of circumstances. The secret to life is Christ in me, that I would abide in him, that I would receive his love, that I would rest in him and know that he supplies joy. Look in verse 12. One more point here. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. This is the corporate idea, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Did you notice there how Jesus brings in the group reality? He brings in this idea of friends, this idea of community, because abiding in Christ is not an individual sport. It's something we're being called to do together, that we need one another. We need a group of friends. We need the church to help us abide in Christ. When you look at the ancient world and people would write about friendship, friends were there to help you live a good life. Friends were there to bring joy in your life. Friends were there to tell you the truth. In the ancient world, when they would talk about friendship, they would always distinguish a flatterer someone who flatters you, who just says what you want to hear, versus a friend who will tell you the truth. And Emmaus, if we are going to abide in Christ, if we are going to bear fruit, you need friends who are going to tell you the truth. Friends who bring joy to your life, friends who are going to show you what love looks like in hard times. Don't back away from that. That's one of the gifts of God to be able to continue to abide in Christ. How do we respond to God's word this morning? What is God calling us to do this morning? If you look at this last slide up here about responding, let me ask you the question, who or what is the source of your life? If you are unsure about your relationship with God, if your life feels uncertain, chaotic, there's no grounding, you're saying, I, I don't know where joy comes from. I don't know what it looks like to live the good life. I'm just very uncertain about my relationship with God. He has provided salvation from himself through his son Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to change your life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This morning, the most important thing you can do is trust in Jesus for salvation. If that's something that you need to do that you've never done before, reach out to us through that link that we provided in the comments. Send me an email. You just send it to me, owen at emmausokc.org. We want to help you work through this question of your relationship with the Lord. What does it look like to trust in him? How is God pruning you? What has God removed from your life that you were so uncertain or frustrated about? God's removed something, an activity that kept you busy or something that defined your life and it's been taken away How is God pruning you so that you would bear more fruit? How is God's fruit showing up in your life? What does it look like for you to abide in him? There's a lot of things going on in the world right now, but the most important thing we can do is abide in Christ. I've had a few people ask me uh, recently, just maybe over the last couple of weeks, 
Owen, what, what keeps you up at night right now? Uh, now, that's a, that's a valid question. What keeps you up at night right now? There, there's a lot of things going on in the world. There's some difficult decisions we've had to make, some really hard decisions coming up soon, decisions Emmaus needs to make this year, things going on in our church. Those things sometimes do keep me up at night. But just speaking directly to you this morning, what keeps me up at night, what, what is on my mind and my heart most often is, God, don't let us be unfruitful. And by that I mean, don't let our church, don't let my life look good in all the external ways, and yet when we get up close, there's no fruit there. God, we want to bear fruit. We want to live lives that make a difference. We want to see you glorified in the world. God, we are desperate for you to do what only you can do. And here's the deal, Emmaus. Revival happens, the gospel advances when we get to the end of our rope. When we get to the point and say, we've tried everything, God, we just give up and trust you. And he says, yes, that's exactly what I want you to do. God does his greatest work in our lives when all those other things are taken away and we realize apart from him, we can do nothing. And my prayer is that God will get us in that place He'll get our families in that place. He'll get our church in that place. He'll get me in that place where we say, God, we are desperate to see the gospel go forward. We want to see you do a good work in our church and we believe that you will do that in a way that only you get the glory. Emmaus, let's pray in that direction this morning. Father, thank you for the chance to connect through technology this morning. God, thank you for the incredible music that we had earlier. Thank you for the people that shared videos for the time of prayer that took place in our homes. God, we admit, it's, it's often hard to know what to do during a time like this. We want to fix something. We want to come up with a good strategy that's going to make things better. And yet what you were telling us this morning is slow down. Rest in me. Abide in me. Trust me. God, let us do that. God, I pray that that would be true of my life, that it would be true of our church, that we would depend on you, and that you would do great things for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again, Emmaus. God bless you. Look forward to hearing from you throughout the week and connecting at different times. Have a great day. We'll see you later.